Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your own risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard. I am joined by the one and only Anthony. Not to be mistaken for Anton, but Anthony. Uh, Anthony plays Norhill, but I'm bringing it to you with a new Nard Bite. And today's Nard Bite is succulent, delicious, crispy, and juicy. It is all about evil organizations. Uh, in the last episode of the show, uh, the party had met with Queen Elvira Giravar and talked about the Eyes of Felyur, which, you know, as anybody who listened to last episode knows pretty well, uh, they're a bunch of bad guys. They've got a lot of assassination attempts that they've done over the years and a lot of successes, apparently. Um, and they're a general group of bad guys worshiping evil, dark, spider-full eyeballs. You know, it, usually not a, not a good sign if that that's who you're uh, employed by. But I wanted to take this episode to discuss what evil organizations really are, how to implement them, and, you know, how to do it right. So I guess, Anthony, when I say evil organization, you say. <laughs> well, my first thought, uh, the, the first thing that comes to my mind when somebody says an evil organization is the Red Ribbon Army from Dragon Ball. Would you like to go a little deeper than that? Boy, I, I don't watch the Dragon Ball. I, I may alien. Yeah, I, I was but... just about to say, nobody watched the Dragon Ball. So the Red Ribbon Army was an early arc villain uh, from Dragon Ball. I think it's like the second arc or something. Okay. And the whole idea is, so here's a little secret, is I haven't actually watched that arc either. <laughs> but So neither of us have any authority to talk about it, but go on. Yeah, but, the, but the whole idea is that, so Goku has to climb the muscle power and defeat the Red Ribbon Army, you know, one sort of micro boss at a time, right? Where individually they're weak, but together they form an actually threatening villain. Okay. So I guess that brings up a pretty good idea here that it's like, you know, when you think about games like D&D and other TTRPGs, or even just writing in general where you have like the big bad evil guy, it's like when you structure these things up, it's hard to really run a good story where there's just one evil villain. And I think there's almost a necessity for having some sort of an evil organization. And so building up these micro bosses, as you call them, like it's very important to really structuring it not only as an organization, but also like for pacing sake and for storyline sake to really include these characters, you know? So I guess, you know, that brings up a pretty good point about the idea that like, this is an organization and there seems to almost be like a mission statement to them. And I think that one of the interesting things about at least our organization here that we're using in our campaign, the Eyes of Failure, is you guys don't really know the true aim of the group at this point in time, you know? It's not made explicit and instead the party's kind of left guessing. And even more threatening than that, you guys are still victims of their attacks. So it's nice to leave it kind of like ambiguous to an extent, but I do wonder how much that affects the overall enjoyment of the party with them not knowing the big evil plan at foot and instead just trying to like survive whatever's going on. I don't know. As a player, do you feel like that's been kind of like 
eh, and you'd have more fun if you knew what the evil plan was? Or do you feel like the unknowing is almost more enjoyable? Yeah, finding, uh, it's less about unknowing and more about finding out. Right, so uh, finding out what the plan is is part of the fun of playing in a game where the villain is an organization. Sure. And I guess, you know, the next big thing to talk about uh, when we're talking about these organizations is talking about the concept of macro and micro scale uh, interactions with these groups. Because when we think about, again, like the, the evil bosses and stuff like that, it's not like their whole goal is just to interact with that party. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. It, that's their own prerogative, apparently. But the thing is, is it's like, you know, for an evil organization to really make an impact in a fantasy world, I feel like they have to have some bigger moves that they've done over time. You know, again, in the case of the Eyes of Felure, this like death cult of assassins, it's you know, their macro impacts that they've had over, over, you know, the years, the century here is they've killed major world leaders. They've taken down, you know, major figures and they've impacted history in such a huge way with such individual moments. But then we got to talk about that micro scale of interaction whereby evil villains and evil organizations get down on like the nitty gritty battle map scale here. And we see them actually interacting with the party and like the players actually get to talk to them. You know, I like to think about it almost like up in the clouds versus on the ground where it's like, you know, historically they've done this. That's all up in the clouds. That's in the history books. That's stuff we can't as players really deal with. But then there's the on the ground stuff where, you know, I don't know, uh, in our case, you guys are traveling home from that big battle and you've been attacked by the assassins along the way. Why are they attacking us? Can we survive it? It's, it's important on that micro scale. So do you have any thoughts about balancing those macro and micro scale occasions? It, it comes down to the organization, right? Because uh, I don't think it's necessarily true that in order to be threatening and interesting, a villainous organization has to be like this country or continent spanning entity, right? Like a villainous organization could technically be like, you know, a rival guild that controls you know, just one city or, you know, like another adventuring party, even that the player characters have to compete against, right? Um, so I think what's important is to make the machinations of the villainous organization important and personal to the party, right? Like we are running up against the, these plans that are being laid by someone else. And part of that might just be always putting them one step ahead of the party, right? To make it feel like, oh, they're playing chess and we're playing darts or something. Right. So I guess uh, a nice way of framing that with the macro micro conversation is to say that like, at the end of the day, there should be a mix of both, but that mix has to constantly get back to the idea that like, this is impacting the party. So it's like, if the macro plan for the eyes of failure is to destroy evil leaders on a different side of the planet, like that's that's so removed from the party that they don't care. And at that point, we ask the question of how evil an organization truly is this? And even on the micro scale, like if their plan is to just accumulate wealth, but the whole party is not concerned with wealth at all, then, you know, it might not be such a big deal when they're like, hey, hand over 20 gold pieces or we'll kill you. And they're like, yo, it's just gold. Like you can have it. You know what I mean? Like it has to feel evil to the players, you know? Um, so I guess, uh, with that all in mind too, um, I'm trying to think now, 
So let's see, when we talk about evil organizations, it almost feels like they come with black armor, spikes and horns, glowing red eyeballs behind visors, you can't see their faces, and they have to talk like the claw from Inspector Gadget and be like, like they, they, they can't, they have to follow this typecast organization, right? But I want to know, how can we take what's kind of expected of evil organizations, tweak it a little bit and make it for like a much more interactive and fun experience that's creative and new? Um, and I think the way to do that would be to take like the typical expectations and just turn them either 180 or just tweak it a little bit. Like, you know, for instance, what if they're not evil at all? And in fact, they're a good organization, but everything they do is at ends with what the party says. Kind of like what we said just a second ago with it has to impact the players. What if it's a religious group that is totally benevolent and they want to do good things, but it comes at the cost of everybody's freedoms? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that makes me think of, and so I guess I'm- the Are you bringing up Dragon Ball Z is, again? No, uh, spoiler alert for Ghost in the Shell standalone yeah, you know, okay, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, so the, the the main villain for that whole show is the Laughing Man, right? And here lie the spoilers. There is no actual Laughing Man, right? The Laughing Man is sort of a philosophy. And everybody, and every sort of terrorist attack in that show that's attributed to the Laughing Man or claimed by him is actually just individual people who uncovered the philosophy and decided, hey, I kind of like this. I'm going to go blow up a police station. Oh, so the idea that like having an evil organization that doesn't really have a leader so much as like a personified idea or ideal system to the point that the party must expect that there is the quote unquote laughing man at the end of this whole thing. And yeah. only to realize that like, and what would be even cooler, I think, is, you know, with the whole talk of villains and how a good villain is one that, like, you can kind of agree with. It'd be interesting to have an evil organization where the farther the party get to the bottom of the organization and get closer and closer to that leader, the closer they get to adopting the same philosophy, like, the same ideas as this, you know, quote-unquote laughing man or, or whatever you want to have it be. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Have the party get closer and closer to this idea that, like, you know, the whole point of this organization is chaos. And by having the party slowly but surely cause more chaos over time by disrupting different leaders and different positions, they've come to see that the chaos they caused was the chaos that the organization wanted all along, leading the party by the end of their big battle with the organization to being pretty much prime leaders of the organization themselves. You know what I mean? And I, I think that that kind of like, the closer you get to the evil you fight, the more you get tainted by it. That whole, uh, what's his face there? Um, you know, the leader of the devils. What's his name in D&D? What's his name? Hold on. Asmodeus. Yeah, Asmodeus. And how he's like the fallen angel. But because he spent so much time in the abyss, he became the first devil. Blending together like the righteousness and the cause of being an angel with the demonic fiendish influence. So it's like it kind of interesting to think about how. An evil organization needs to be sort of reflexive and survive the party doing what they're doing. And I like to think that like a smart organization would try their hardest to like adapt to the party and try to like interact with the party, not just be like, again, any, you know, Saturday morning cartoon villainous, like hanging out and being like, ha ha, you thought you defeated me. But in reality, this is my true form. I instead like the idea of like a legitimate proposition 
you know, in campaigns in the past, I've had, you know, just to give a quick rip on this one, I had this stone of chaos that caused all chaotic beings to kind of feel like an internal pulse. So you had orcs and goblins, troglodytes, all these beasties that felt like the internal strife of chaos, all of a sudden felt kind of like this weird peace amongst all of them, as if they all spoke the same language all of a sudden. And this evil green dragon was in charge of the whole thing. And when the party finally got to his lair and finally had him cornered, he was like, why are you fighting me? He's like, humans, dwarves, elves, they fight all the time. In fact, they fight with the goblins and the orcs and everything. Under them, there will always be fighting. He's like, I promise you, if you join me, there will be peace in the kingdom. It's not the peace you remember, but there will be no fighting under my work. And it's like the idea that the party had come so far to help push this organization to where they are, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say it, like meddling the, uh, the, the test in the metal of the steel by hammering it so many times that like, only the best of the bosses survived. And he's the one who recognizes like, hey, I can employ these jerks, maybe convert them. They all want peace for the land. I want peace for the land. Why don't we just agree that this is the one piece we can actually control? Now, naturally, uh, Jared's character there, the uh, I think he was a forest gnome uh, druid. Yeah, Doric Springroot. He, uh, he, he fully agreed with the green dragon. He's like, hey, that sounds pretty good. He's like, I don't like fighting at all. He's like, yeah. I agree with that guy. And they're like, you recognize that's Green Dragon, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but there's no more fighting with him. And meanwhile, Joel's character, on the other hand, was just like, uh-uh, I don't trust a thing a dragon says. I, I refuse. So it's interesting to kind of like take player character philosophies, sell it back to them and be like, you dingling. Like, I want peace too. It's just, it doesn't look like a bunch of humans and dwarves. It's goblins and orcs, you know? So I think like forcing players to kind of look back at their trail of, of you know, of dead bodies behind them and recognizing like, wait a minute, are we the evil organization while this group wants peace and we're the ones that are causing the, the mischief around here? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that that's what really sets apart like an evil organization from, you know, a singular villain. Yeah. Is that so, it, and it's like what you said about the macro versus micro where an organization is going to have a plan and a party of people are going to be just one of many obstacles towards fulfilling whatever greater plan it is they have. Sure. So if it's easier for an organization to hire a party or buy them off when just killing them or sending moves after them doesn't work, they'll do that. You know, it's, it's only funny because it just reminds me of like capitalism in a way where it's like, hey, our biggest competitor for streaming services is company X. All right, well, why don't we just buy them and then we both benefit? Like, hell yeah. Like, that just sounds to me like, I mean, but then again, you know, make American capitalism your evil organization. Just do that. Just have it be a whole group with a ton of money that are like, hey, we're going to unify everything. We're all going to share in the wealth. Nobody has any personal property, but it belongs to us. But hey, we're all going to be rich in the end, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, a corporation is the perfect example of a villainous organization. <laughs> I mean, you know, in you know, in cyberpunk, you know, the game and the genre, mega yeah. corporations are most commonly the villain. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it's pretty it, much. You, know, you also people, often yeah. end up working with them and with other, you know, corporations as the game goes on. Which makes sense since that area, that game kind of exists within the gray morality area for a lot of things. You know what I mean? Where the question of like the good guy, the bad guy, who cares? I'm the guy with the laser pistol and the mohawk. You know what I mean? But. Yeah, and it says that the first three rules of Cyberpunk in you know Cyberpunk 2020, the game, 
one of the first three rules is, you know, you're you're out, you're here on the outside just trying to survive and look good while doing it. Very good. So style over substance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that I think what the world is coming to anyway. But with that in mind, style over substance. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say about evil organizations, or do you feel like we've wrung this rag dry? Yeah, no, I think we covered everything that I wanted. Is there anything you'd like to do a shout out for? Uh, well, let's see here. So I spend quite a bit of time talking about Ghost in the Shell standalone complex and spoiling it for everyone. Um, if you're even a little bit interested in animation or the cyberpunk genre, you're not going to find a more foundational document than that. All right. Well, I mean, now that you've ruined it for everybody, they might as well go <laughs> deal with it themselves. I know there's lots of other cool little mini stories in there. The whole idea is that it's a bunch of standalone episodes. Fair enough. All right. Well, in that case, uh, bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's the young Grognar here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks. <laughs>